This talk was recorded at the 2019 Actuarial Society of South Africa Convention at the Sandton Convention Centre. For more information on the Actuarial Society, visit actuarialsociety.org.za. Good afternoon. Uh, what has kept you soldiers to like soldier on with this last session rather than go home <laughs> or go do other important things? What brings you here? Hmm. So, why has this been so important for you that when others are bailing, you've decided you'll still be here? Wonderful. And so, for you, you're like, okay. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Curiosity here from, from what perspective? Can we cut the lights? Yes. Okay. Can we cut the lights? Because I think we're going to just be chilling here in the front. Yeah, please, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, much better. Yeah. Any other reason for yourself personally why this topic particularly caught your interest? There's challenge, there's inclusion, there's retention. There's a curiosity, just even from an association perspective, what our views, where the transformation is concerned. If I understood you correctly. Yeah. Okay. And um, what about your organization? Mm. How could this enable the work that you need to do when you get back to your particular organization? I know we haven't said anything. <laughs> <laughs> but just you're thinking of what could. <laughs> Someone in the last session said, this session didn't seem like other actuarial stuff and we went to the break. So we're going <laughs> to maybe some of you. So the stuff, no, definitely, definitely. No, thank you very much for coming through. Uh, thank mm -hmm. you very much for honoring us with your time. And I think to the best of our ability, we'll ensure that you get as much you know, value out of this as possible. To the best of our ability, we'll provide some perspective that will hopefully stretch and provide a, it's not even a new lens, but hopefully a clearer lens regarding what it is that we're trying to go for. This is a space that has a lot of academic work that's in it. Mm -hmm. This is a space that has a lot of buzzwords. This is a space where there's some people that are very articulate within it, but because they're so articulated and they've got so many terms within it, nobody knows what the heck is going on and what it is that we're trying to solve for. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's really important where we can approach this in such a way to then say, let's actually simplify this and figure out what, mm -hmm. what are we trying to solve for here? What are we trying to drive for? Mm -hmm. And do it in a way that is simple and do it in a way that is very human. Because often I think we make a beast out of inclusion, not realizing that at its very core, it's actually about a human experience that we're trying to create and reach for. Yeah. So my name is uh, Dominic Khalbepi, full name is Khuitsiona Mudimu Dominic Khalbepi. Khuitsiona Mudimu being a Tswana name, which means only God knows. That's what it means. I'm not kidding with you. <laughs> right. Went by the name Khuitsiona until I went into uh, primary school, you know, after 94, part of that first crop of black kids getting into the burbs. And uh, you can imagine. Uh, back in 95, like I think it's probably even still current. But the name Huizione was, in corporate terms, reshuffled, restructured. <laughs> Not cascaded. <laughs> it had so many versions, I was like, it's fine, you can call me Dominic. So Dominic, having been born in a Catholic family, that's essentially the name that I received when I got christened. And uh, yeah, so we're from an organization called Cohesion Collective. So we do this work daily. So a specialist organization where equality, diversity, and inclusion are concerned. We do this work within schools. We do this work within corporates. It's so crucial to do this work within schools because sometimes within corporates, there's some adults who I'm just like, yeah, there's no hope for you. 
So I don't need to convince you anymore that at least speak to the young ones <laughs> who'll actually be driving this country as we go forward. But that being said, it's still very much important to engage with the adults within corporates because more than just the titles that you have, more than just the positions that you hold, we also have mothers and fathers within corporates. Yeah. Uh, we've got sisters and brothers. You've got people that are looking at the South African context, looking at their corporations and the policies that are there. And whether rightfully or wrongfully, but that fear exists, where there is this concern, but what does this mean for my children? Yeah. And so if we're not going to have this discussion with that kind of realness, we'll always sit around the table, we spend two days together talking about absolutely nothing. Yeah. Why? Because we never go below the surface to actually engage you know, those anxieties, those fears to actually engage that which we're excited about that could be a possibility where this discussion in particular is concerned. Yeah. But for my end, thank you very much for showing up. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful that we have this small group. Uh, the two sessions that we run before this were full and didn't really allow us to come off stage and to like have a chat and for us to also lower our pace and our tone a bit because this is really where we, where we love to do the work, right, is when we actually having a conversation about some of these things. So for me, my name is Roy, by the half of Cohesion Collective. Um, and my narratives up until I was 23 was that I'm the wrong race, I'm the wrong gender, and there's no opportunity for me in South Africa. So, and that was my belief system because it's what my parents told me. What my dad said, he's like, Roy, you're the wrong race, you're the wrong gender, there's no opportunity. You need to apply for overseas universities, you need to get in, you need to get out of here. And um, <coughs> that was it, that was my inheritance many respects right this anxiety the disconnection from the space and that's something which I took all the way into university now just humor me for a moment in understanding that I grew up in Morningside which is down the road I went to Crawford College which is seven minutes through lush suburbs I went to UCT and I'm sitting in my res room saying there's no opportunity for me in this country right so the paradox is there the inconsistency some might say the insanity is there but the experience wasn't one that was insane. It was very real. It was saying, "Wow, there's I'm clearly there. Look, look what's happening. There's no opportunity for me, right?" And it was only through a series of mm, one could call it divine intervention, stars aligning. I don't know, to get me to the point where I'm looking at my constitutional law and human rights textbook, and I'm reading about equality, and it's saying, "Hey, Roy, you know the thing that you said is apartheid in reverse." I'm like, "Oh yeah, be absolutely. Of course, I know that. Definitely, I believe that." I said, mm, "Actually, it's about redress." And it was convincing, and I said, I cannot believe that the narratives that I've brought into, the beliefs of my parents have been so entrenched in me without me ever really sitting and saying, what is the reality of the space, right? And that was my entrance into having this conversation, because I was like, shit, man, I need to speak to other people like me, because I need to say, let's pause. And that's what this is, that's why we're happy to have a small group. Let's pause for a moment, right? Let's ask a tough question. Let's think about where we are. And not in a way that shames, that is exclusive or exclusionary or that judges, but where we can just say what is going on, right? Where are we at? I think, and we used discovery in the last session, we'll use it again, and if they come after us, we'll, I'll apologize, but the glass reflective paneling all over that building will never reflect the fear and anger that exists within South Africa. Your organizations cannot hide from the zeitgeist, from the feeling that is currently South African, right? And we all hold this fear and anger. And I think that's part of our work. How do we now come into a space and say, we're scared, we're angry, let's talk about it. Why? Because that fear and anger is not showing up in terms of protest in our organizations. 
It's showing up in terms of disconnection. Lack of leaning, lack of mentorship, lack of leadership, right? Organizational, who gets good work, who doesn't get good work, who gets training, who gets opportunities? This is a problem for us, right? So inclusion is not this nice fluffy stuff that we talk about at the end of the board meeting, how our number's doing good or, or not good. Okay, we'll talk about it at the next, we'll let's do a conference. It's not. This is central for us as to how organizations need to be thinking about talent, leadership, culture. This is a sustainability conversation. So yes, we're talking about our emotions, but we need to also start to understand that our emotions are coming into the organization anyway, whether we like it or not. Yes. So how do we start positively directing them, creating the space where we can say, I'm terrified. As an elderly white man, I don't know how to give a young black female direction and feedback because I'm terrified she's going to see me as a racist. So I'm not going to take her on as a mentor because if I do, it's just too scary for me. Guys, that's happening. We know it's happening. We hear it all the time. That's a problem, right? And that's just one example. Yeah. So this is an opportunity for us just to pause, for us to position some of our thinking around this, how we see this working. Because we're so small here, you don't have to wait for the opportunity to ask a question. There's no Q&A at the end. We're going to be talking consistently, right, throughout this conversation. So thanks for coming. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything you'd like to ask before we begin? Sure. Any thoughts you're having at the moment? Concerns, feelings? Yes. Sure. Yes, sir. Sure. Around these professional streets. So essentially, whenever I run trainings, I give people two options. I say, for those that can pronounce Huizion, um, Huizion is my name. It's the name that I carry proudly. But in order to be... Um, consider it and not give them the Radio 702 caller syndrome uh, where they call into 702 and then immediately you hear the terror in their voice because they've not considered how it is that they're going to pronounce this click. The day XG became acceptable, there was like a sigh for Like, XG stops saying for So whether you call me Dominic or Huizion and more than more. But maybe yeah. why? Why? Uh, the why? Now you want to facilitate me to go deeper. The reason why it happens, and I think let me put it in an example of someone else and then I can give you a lens regarding why it is that Dominic became something that's convenient uh, to go with. So we meet a man, uh, he's at a law firm, and uh, he introduces himself and he says his name is John. We're like, okay, great John, great to meet you. And we run an exercise that we call the name game. So the name game is tell us all of your names, all of them, what do those names mean and who gave them to you. He mentions his names and then John does not come up. But we're like, but you said your name was John. He's like, no, actually my name is not John. But I came into this organization. They said, what's your name? I said, Chukudolo Dimbi. And the person that was the administrator, I oh, do you not have an easier one? And the bloke literally on the spot said, ah, John. And that's how he was registered. Currently, 2019. Okay, So this guy is at an organization, not very far from where we are right now. And he's got John at this email address dot com. Right? And I think often within the corporate space, in order for us to survive, we learn at a very young age to begin to assimilate to certain things for convenience. Rather than carrying on to correct and then and all these things that come up, you just like, don't respect, disrespect my grandfather's name, Dominic is fine. But if you can pronounce Huizion, Huizion is absolutely fine. We should, if you feel strongly about it, 100%. So who's from Discovery here? Oh, uh, wow. Who's the, who's the HR head at Discovery? 
Atsuelo used to be Eugene. But at some point in his career, Atsuelo began to insist that he gets called Atsuelo Kodisa. Atsuelo was Eugene for the longest time. Played squash, was like involved in like the South African national team. So if it's something that you absolutely feel strong about, because the second name is something that you found you had to compromise on rather than something that you're doing yourself, 100% we can insist on that. But we're going to talk about today why that happens, right? In, 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 I mean, there's many reasons, but we're going to kind of zoom in and we want to talk about that. Not so much the experience of what it means to become Dominic, because Dominic's quite, maybe quite a different person to Kweetsi mm-hmm. that doesn't come into the space, right? And what do we lose within that space as well, yes. right? So that's one aspect of the conversation that I think is important to have, that when we kind of zoom into the organization and understand how we see organizations, some of these things will become a bit clearer as to why. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you want to do this? Uh, as a conversation, really. Yeah. I think yeah, these things. Are yeah, these things are because yeah. we don't have to. Yeah, but I think let's position these because really okay. they're crucial in driving the right kind of conversation yeah. rather than us understanding from different perspectives. So whenever we do this work, the one thing that's quite consistent, whether we're doing it in schools, whether we're doing it in organisations, whether we're doing it in conferences, is that currently there is this heightened sense that the world is changing so much. People are talking fourth industrial revolution, we're talking machine automation, we're talking AI, and there's just this angst that the world is changing. Right? But whenever we look at that as an organization, you know, when you position those people are like, yeah, that's, this is the society of this changing world, yes? Uh, those that were born after, no, born before technology, I won't expose you in the room, so there's two generations. There's a generation that was born before technology and the generation born after technology. So those are the BBTs and the BBAs. Right? The BBTs are like, yes, this is the society of this changing world. These young people are now disconnected, cannot have a human-to-human conversation, and this informs this idea of this changing world. But then we ask the question more critically to then say, if the world is changing so much, then how do we explain this? If this is the idea that the world is changing so drastically, then how do we explain that? Or perhaps, let's provide a benefit of the doubt and say that this is just a convenient picture. Perhaps this is the side of this changing world, yes? So Betty goes out of the kitchen, she's into corporate, she's wearing her power suit, she's doing the things, and we're like, yes, the world is changing. But once again, if the world is changing so much, then how do you explain this that happened in South Africa last year? Gifts to our mom, happy Mother's Day. Hmm? And check this. Gifts to our mom, happy Mother's Day, but the world is changing. <laughs> but the world is changing. And so really as an organization, when we engage in this work, when we engage within the spaces, the realization that we've had, yes, you've got technological developments, yes, you've got some amazing industries that have come into being, but at their very core, human beings do not change much. But we are, however, becoming far more sophisticated at how it is that we represent change. But if you look at certain constants, those constants are there. So if you think about, for example, I mean, we are, what, 25 years into democracy now, yes? And we're saying, yeah, we're winning. But if you think about the South African class structure and the South African corporate structure, it's like a beautifully designed and beautifully crafted and beautifully roasted cappuccino. Okay? Think of your corporate structure. Very black at the bottom, cream on top, and then a few brown sprinkles. Okay? But we're saying that the world is changing. But there's certain things that are remaining constant. And so the thinking that we bring within this work is that if you don't buy into this concept of this changing world, but rather how do we come into the spaces, how do we speak with the leaders, how do we speak with your talent, 
to say the world is not changing as drastically as we believe that it's changing, but how can we begin to give you the skill sets actually to change the world? Because the world is not changing. But if we can acquire the skill set to change the world, that's that point at which we begin to really do things that are meaningful, where talent is concerned, where leadership development is concerned, where the organizational structure, uh, culture rather, that we're trying to create is concerned. Okay. Whenever we're also thinking of this changing world, there are these you know, social movements that are happening from a global and local space. We've got like marriage equality that was happening in the United States either this terrifying or amazing movement of change depending as to who you are and how you perceive these things. So these drive this narrative as well as this changing world. You've got hashtag me too that happened in the United States, either this terrifying or amazing movement of change depending as to how you perceive it. You had Fees Must Fall that happened in this country. You had Pretoria Girls that was there. All right? But let's think about it more critically again. Is it such an amazing thing that black girls in Africa in 2017 are having to fight against school policies that are policing their identity, not their style, their identity? This is not this amazing movement of change. These young people are just trying to get us to point zero, the place where we ought to have been. Right? When you think about, let's say, hashtag me too, what on earth do we believe is revolutionary when a woman says a person has sexually violated me and we actually believe them and do something about it? Okay? This is not this amazing movement of change. It's to get us to the point where we ought to have been. When you think about the LGBT rights happening in the United States, these are not these amazing movements of change. We're just trying to get people that have been at the periphery to the starting point of where they ought to have been. And so when we do this work, we really do it within that lens that there are certain things that are just constant around the world and if we don't begin to think critically about them, we'll bind to this narrative of change and when we bind to the narrative that the world is changing so much, it then gives us an out. I don't have to do anything because the world is changing anyway. Mm -hmm. But if you can realize that the world is not changing anyway, all of a sudden we come back to what is your personal responsibility to change the world. Yeah. What are some of your thoughts when you see this? Just out of interest. What feelings, what thoughts come up for you when you see this image? It's just a Google image search of diversity. We took the first four. What reactions do we have? Bottom left picture is lying. Uh huh. <laughs> Why are they lying? <laughs> You've never seen that before. You know what one person once said when they saw this picture? They said, why do, the only, uh, why do only the white people have electronics in the bottom left picture? <laughs> so you're saying it's a lie, right? Mm. But, but our university website, that's the stuff, yeah? yeah. Uh-huh. What else? Sure. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Ah. ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We see a big shift once matriculation happens, yep. which is another whole conversation we can have. And the adults get confused because the adults say, "No, but I'm colorblind. I don't see color." And then you, I'm like, "How do we operate traffic lights in this country?" But anyway, conversation for another day. Uh, so we've got a dad uh, in a bank shares a story with us. Says his young boy comes to him. So this is a white guy. Says his young, uh, his young one comes to him. Says, "Dad, can I please go spend the weekend at Tabo's place?" Okay. Sure, my boy. You know, Tabo's his uh, little black friend. 
dad drops off his little kid there on Saturday afternoon, kid spends the weekend in Tabo's place, and then dad goes and fetches him by Sunday afternoon. When he fetches him, little guy freaking comes rushing through the car, storms in, freaking sits down there, hello my boy, does not even say hello, like, dad, you're not going to believe this. What is it, my boy? He says, Tabo's dad is black, this kid says, eyes wide open. Okay? Now, this is not a trick scenario. Tabo looks like his father. Not that Tabo's mom is Indian or colored or white, no. Tabo's mom and dad look like Tabo. Right? But why do you think for this little white boy, <laughs> Tabo is brown, no? Jessica is peach, Darrell is caramel, but Tabo's dad is black. What do you think happened for that kid in that moment? No How right or wrong answers. Why is yep. Tabo Brown but Tabo's dad is black? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not like the other blacks. <laughs> so, so, uh, so for you, so what you're saying is essentially for this young white boy, Tabo's more like him, but the dad is very foreign to him, and that's what creates that difference. What yes. what is foreign about his dad? Where, or rather, better question, where did he create what is normal and what is foreign to know that something is now foreign? Which is that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. All right. So where do you think this young white boy has seen black men? In the garden, on the side of the road, on the back of a bucky. And now he's coming to this house, this big house in Waterfall Estate with the dad driving a Range Rover and he's saying, no, no, that's not my understanding of a black man. The six-year-old boy who has an understanding of what a black person is, right? And now we have this dad who's shattering all of those and it's so overwhelming. He's like, no, this boy knows what a, six -year what a, what a black man is. That's it. And now it's being challenged. So this idea of colorblindness, of value judgments, we, we're learning this all the time, everywhere, right? And these things come into our organization. Yeah. Right. Time. But the lesson in that story was this. There's nothing wrong with the difference. No. Okay. The things that we need to interrogate is what are the value judgments have that we've learned given our social conditioning as it relates to difference. So often we want to push away that we're colorblind, we do not see color. No, color is important. It's important to me that you see me as a black man in South Africa mm. because that informs literally my entire being and existence and how does that people treat me. When you say that you're colorblind and you do not, when you're colorblind, you actually don't see me. Mm. Right. So nothing wrong with difference, but everything wrong with what it is that we've been taught as it relates to it. The kids just see difference as different. Mm. Brown, peach, caramel, it's just different. So the reactions to diversity and now original thinking around diversity is like very much this when you think about diversity training it's like simunye vibes we are the world very exciting happy but really when we think about it this is actually the experience is that diversity is difficult we are trying to take a series of factors and merge it into one happy space and it is hard work and it's tough and i think this has to be the starting point of the difficulty of this conversation 
So when we look at stuff like this, and we're not going to bore you with this because this is actually a waste of our time, there's a McKinsey report that talks about the benefits of diversity, and it's extensive, right? Here are the three topics, main things. Relationship between diversity and our performance exists. Leadership roles matter. Up penalty for opting out. That's cool, but that's not going to make any difference to you guys because facts aren't going to change the behavior within the space, right? So we can read about the benefits of diversity till the cows come home, but when we're not going to talk about my emotional reaction to difference and to change, we're never going to unlock it, right? And that's the space in which we operate. And these three layers that we've got here is just to speak to you a little bit about some of the complexity that we're seeing within these conversations in South Africa at the moment. The first narrative or the first complexity that we're seeing is this aversion to my role, what my body represents. You guys are going to help me here. I've already given you a head start. What does this body here that I'm in represent on the streets in South Africa? What are some of the labels I'm going to get? Come. Privilege. What does that mean? Easy access. What else? I've got a head start. Why do I have a head start? And so what have I got as a result of our history? An unfair advantage? Am I educated? Yeah? Where was I educated? Crawford, right? Said, told that. Where do I live? Cool, Stanton. Did I go to university? Yes. How many degrees do I have? Do I have a master's degree? All of these things are labels that I'm going to get. Whether they are who I am or not is irrelevant, right? The fact that I gave you a head start is irrelevant. You would have said the exact same things. I come into an organization, I'm going to get the same labels. It's going to be trust, competence, he can do it, well-connected social capital, or maybe like a little bit, oh, maybe his dad knew somebody to get him in here. That's fine, right? Whether this is me or not is irrelevant yeah. because that is always how I'm going to be seen first. Now, let's cross the floor to this body over here, my colleague Dominic. What does his body represent on the streets in South Africa? Nice tie. What else? Come. Hardship. What else? What does this body represent? What does a black male body represent? Hey, crime? Yeah? What else? Put him in corporate. I incapable? Yeah? What else? He only got there because of BEE? Yeah? What else? Determination. What gives you that sense of determination? What makes you feel like he has excelled? Great. Exactly. No one ever comments on what I am wearing when we are having this conversation. No one ever says when Roy is speaking or when he's not speaking all the time for Dominic. When Dom's speaking or he's not speaking. Because in our society, my skin color represents trust, competence. You can be safe with me. I'm safe. Black body in South Africa does not represent trust and safety. Black men know that they have to use external markers of, you can trust me, I'm safe. Listen to how I speak. I'm educated. I'm safe. Look at what I'm wearing. I'm educated. I'm safe. Just that inequality of experience is going to fundamentally change not only how we navigate our lives in the world and spaces, but how we come into organizations, how we're going to be seen within organizations. But we want to pull away from this role, right? So we did a session at one of the law firms. Managing partner, tall Afrikaans guy, lovely guy. And he got really emotional in the session and he said, you know what, Roy, everyone sees me as this tall Afrikaans guy, which means what? What does that body represent? Tall Afrikaans? Who's going to say it? Oppressor, racist, absolutely. And he's saying, I'm so irritated, I'm here to drive I'm transformation. Sure have seen that I know, no, no, I can <laughs> feel it. <laughs> and everyone just sees me as this person who doesn't get it, I'm trying to drive him, and I just want to give up. 
right? This was his emotional reaction. We said, well, everyone's always going to see you as that first. That's it. That's where we live. We're always going to be seen as this first. Don't give up. We can't manage what society, we're not going to change what society thinks of you, but you know what we can manage is your reaction. Because if you really want people to see you, you know what you've got to do? Instead of giving up, you've got to lean in and show yourself. You've got to create the relationship. So what we're seeing a lot is people saying, well, if you're not going to get to know me, then I'm not going to, and we're saying, no, 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 forget about it. You're always going to be seen as something first. How do we now lean into that discomfort and start creating the relationship? So the big frustration in having this conversation in unlocking talent through inclusion is that we don't want to talk about our differences because it makes us feel like we're not individuals. And we say, forget about that. You're always going to be seen like that. Move on. We're going in, right? And then it comes to the second um, challenge that we're seeing about having these conversations is voicelessness, right? For the white people in the room, the white men. When it comes to conversations around race, inclusion, transformation, privilege, why do we feel completely voiceless? And we do. Why? What, what label is that? What makes you... Mm. Mm. So you're scared to speak because if we do say anything that's wrong or we ask a question or we maybe seem a little bit controversial, racist. And what happens when you call the racist? What is the reaction? Sure, jail time is now a real issue or real possibility. What else? Sidelined? Career limiting, all of these things. There's also a sense of guilt. Is it really our time to speak right now? You know? Totally voiceless, white South Africans, when it comes to these conversations. So, whether the reason for being voiceless is justified or not, what we're seeing a lot is that from a group perspective, looking at a whole group, whether they want to be voiceless or not, or believe it's justified or not, is irrelevant. There's just this overarching voicelessness, right? This shut off. But to come to another question, black South Africans in corporate South Africa, in this room, also feel completely voices around these conversations of race, transformation, inclusion, diversity. Why? Tell us, tell me more. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the EFF supporter, the troublemaker. Mm. Yep. And what are we going to call you? The angry black woman, in particular. And what are some of the evidence that you've seen about black people who speak out in critique of leadership or in critique of the culture as it comes to exclusion or lack of transformation? Huh? Mm -hmm. There is as much evidence as there is from white people of the sense of what happens when we speak out and that anxiety around it, whether it's us who's experienced it or not, is the exact same thing for black South Africans. It's like, uh-uh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to be the one who's spoiling the Sunday lunch, right? The EFF supported the troublemaker, you should be grateful to be in this organization. So when it comes to these conversations, black South Africans in your organizations feel completely voiceless. Indian and colored South Africans? Voiceless, why? You're on the fence? Isn't that the colored and Indian experience though? When is our voice ever of value anyway? Not black enough, not white enough. Now you want us to come and show up and have a conversation. Why are we not going to do it? So here's the thing. We're all feeling voiceless in the space. But none of us really want to or know how to have the conversation. Yeah. Yes, for different reasons. Yeah. But there's a shared sense of voicelessness. 
And the thing is, we have the conversations, mm. but we have those conversations with the people that we trust. We'll hear these conversations at the canteen, lunch counters. We'll hear these conversations around brides. But as soon as you have this, mm -mm, nobody's saying anything. Uh, me, I don't want the career limiting <laughs> you know, comments that I'm going to put forward. People who stood up for themselves, there was a black female who shared a story for us, and she decided to then really go through the processes and hold her managers accountable. And then she received a label that said, yeah, you'll now be known as Miss Grievance. So that's the label that you got, Miss Grievance. So now Miss Grievance would not be mentored, Miss Grievance would not be sponsored, Miss Grievance would not be developed, and she eventually had to move out of the organization. She stood up for herself and there was a consequence. And so it's really realizing that this voicelessness is something that we all feel from different perspectives and for different reasons. But there is a sense of voicelessness, especially with an uncorporate space. Mm -hmm. And the reaction, the final challenge, right, is the, 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 the compression of both of these. So how you see me, my role, is going to affect how it is that you hear me. So I could even just say, hey, I'd, maybe we should rethink about BEE. You guys are going to listen to Roy saying that. It's going to be a white guy who's saying we must challenge BEE. So that compounds, right? Similarly, I'm not going to hear a black woman saying, hey, I'm not being mentored. I'm going to say, yeah, it's untitled black talent in this organization, right? And because of that, we're seeing this new protest in our organizations, right? And this new protest is, I need to surround myself by people who think like me, to create the safety around me, who share a similar ideology. Because speaking out and having these conversations is just too scary, so the more we can insulate, the better. And what we believe when it comes to social cohesion, social justice, team effectiveness, organizational culture, mentorship, sponsorship, career development, all of these things that are so important to organization, sustainability and for talent, is being frustrated by these three things. Because if we're going to be lagering and protecting, there's no way we're going to be reaching out and building trust. How many times do you hear organizations saying we are a high trust organization? No, you're not. We're a learning organization but we haven't dealt with some of these things and they're coming into our organization. So for us, this is the starting point, right? Saying, okay, hey, we're all feeling like this. Now what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And it's showing up and it's having these conversations, learning the skill set, learning the language, right? Creating, building the connections. Yeah. This us, is a critical skill set. Absolutely. And um. I think we need to, we'd like to do an exercise with mm. you. So if we just uh, whip out your phones or Do you want to do, do it on Minty? Yeah. Yeah, okay. How many people do we have? Yes. Yeah, it's fine. If Kay. it's set up, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Set up. So I wanted to go to menti.com. M-E-N-T-I.com. So menti.com. M-E-N-T-I.com. When you get there, please enter the code 990484. After you've entered the code, don't go forward. Look back at me so yeah. that I brief you. So go to menti.com on your phone, on your tablet, where it asks you for a code, enter the code double nine zero four eight four, and then just stop there and and get the brief regarding what it is that we need for you to do. Um, and then there should be something that says go to slide. Um, I wanted to see. Okay, we'll see how we go. I want to see what you've got there. The reset is on. Wonderful. Cool. So, I want you to imagine for a moment to think about your organization. So the organization that you come from, whether it's a financial services institution, a bank, whatever your organization is, a consulting firm, just think about your organization and think about the experience that you have of that organization. 
I want you to imagine now for a moment that if you were to put your organization into human form, what would that organization look like? And now this requires you to be very honest and brave. Not what you'd, would you'd, li would you'd like your organization to be, no, what it is. Not what you display on your website <laughs> and you sell to the public, but the internal experience. If your organization was to be a person and that person came through that door and stood in front of us, who does it feel like you'd be dealing with? So whenever you're engaging in communication, whenever you've been paid at the end of the month, whenever you're sitting in meetings, who does it feel like you're dealing with? This is not about what does our leadership team look like or what do our demographics look like, no. What does the space feel like? Mm -hmm. So if your organization was to be a person, what race would they be? What gender would they be? What's their sexual orientation? Are they straight? Are they gay? Are they bisexual? Are they lesbian? Would they be physically abled or disabled? What religion do they feel like they practice or grew up under? What language do they speak? What income brackets do they belong in? If we were to take your organization and put it into human form, what would this person look like? Okay. Are you guys all at that page on your Nancy? On race? So it goes straight to religion. And if you go, say go to slides, please. Click on go to slides. And you should be at, the, at race. Don't overthink it. It's quite intuitive. Just select for yourself. Just select for yourself. What gender would your organization be? Male, female, gender non-conforming? Yeah, clear. What would the sexual orientation of the organization be? Straight, gay, bisexual, transgendered, asexual? Physically abled or physically disabled? Hmm. What language would this person speak? Would this individual be in the lower income bracket, middle income, upper middle, or upper income bracket? Yeah. So before we position this, how do you understand this for mm. yourself? Working for a completely different organization. 
but somehow describing the same oak. <laughs> How do you understand mm. this for yourself? What do you think is the point of this? How are we able to take a juristic person, an organization, and put it into one form? And then across all of the different spaces, we literally find one person. Yeah. Yes. Right. What's fascinating? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. So that was your kind of movement yeah. into this question. Absolutely. Interesting. And you know what's fascinating? I got invited to speak at Queen's College last year for the Freedom Day celebration. Queen's College, uh, former Model C school in the Eastern Cape, was pretty much 100% white students leading up to 1994. Now, given South Africa what it is, as soon as the black students started coming in, there was white flight, so it's now 95% black student population. They ran this exercise, and they described what you described. 95% black student population. Okay. Our research, and our research is just kind of doing this over and over again. And literally, wherever we are, from schools all the way up to corporates, right? This is what we get. A white, male, straight, able-bodied, Christian-ish. So kind of like grew up in a Christian home but doesn't really go to church anymore. Language, English, Afrikaans, in the upper income bracket. Mm. Consistently. Mm. But you typically get the Christian-ish or Jew-ish. Jew-ish. I got Jew-ish, not practicing, but got that thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's there. So guys, this is the starting point of this conversation. And we really would like to position why this is the starting point and to speak to this because it's incredibly powerful ex exercise and something that can really unlock conversations in your own spaces and with your own teams. So the first thing that we need to say and it's the most important particularly for you five sitting in front, this person here is not a bad person. That's the first thing we need to understand and start embedding. That this white straight man who's able-bodied Christian, is English, of God, being an up -in income person is not a bad person. And that the more we start buying into the narrative that whiteness is bad, masculinity is bad, straightness is bad, the more we're going to be alienating and not actually driving what it is we're trying to do. Whenever we do this work with senior leadership, senior leadership are the ones who say who we are now or who it is we want to be, internalizing their own badness and the redundancy of this person. We say that's not the truth. Does this person have things to engage? Absolutely. This person also has access to share 100%. But leave and to be replaced with black gay women? Not necessarily. Not a bad person, right? The second thing and the most important thing about the experience of inclusion is this. We see organizations as houses, your businesses, your spaces. We see that office place as a house. It's roles and responsibilities. It's got uh, outputs, hierarchy, all of the stuff within the space. You spend more time there than you do even at your own home. We see organizations as houses. Now, if this is the personification of your organization, we need to see, you need to see your office as this person's house. You need to see the personification of your organization and your office now as this person's house. Now for me, Roy, in this body, as we've said twice now, three times, I grew up in this house. This is the only house I've ever known. I know everything about this house. So I'm going to come into your organization as young talent, right, or as talent. And it's going to say, welcome, Roy, make yourself at home. And you know what? I know exactly what that means because I'm literally moving from my one house into my other house. 
I know the rules, I know to communicate, I know to be, I know to engage, I know to build relationships, I know to break the rules just enough not to get into too much trouble. I know everything about it. It's literally my house. There is no movement. There is no transition. For Dominic, who did not grow up in a house like this, Dom will come into your organization as well. Exactly. And that transition is important. And uh, again, this person will say, make yourself at home. And it's genuine, right? But for Dom, there is a transition. This experience is not my home. I don't understand the rules. I have to deliver, I have to learn the rules and deliver. Roy, he's just delivering here. Dom is going to have to see how to negotiate the space, how much of Chuyitzion is allowed within the space, how much of Dominic is actually allowed. This is a constant conversation that he is having that I'm not having. Mm. And it's that internal conversation that Dom is having, which isn't slowing him down in terms of his delivery, but it's taking up energy. Here's the irony even in the work that we do. There are certain things that Roy can say, and if I say the exact same things, I'll be seen as a communist. <laughs> the many things. Yeah. Whereas he can get away with a lot. That's the irony even within this work that we do. So the thing is, is that coming into the house is not the issue, right? What we need to start understanding is that we probably in our lifetime probably won't change the feeling of the house. But how do we start building more comfort within the space? Because when we think about inclusion, right, and we go around and everyone here would have a different definition of inclusion, to be heard, to be listened to, to be valued, to belong, to be seen, to be acknowledged, all of these, and all of these things are correct. But as Dom said earlier, because all of these things are correct, it makes this endpoint really murky. Like, is it to belong or is it to be valued? We're going to make it super simple and cut through all of the noise that all inclusion is really at the heart of it is comfort comfort. How comfortable are you as you, not a version of you, to show up in this house every single day? How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you? What we know for a fact is the closer your identity is to the personification of the house, automatically the more comfortable you're going to be. The further your identity is away from, from the personification of the house, the less comfortable you're automatically going to be. And now we left with the question, is this a problem? And if so, how are we going to change it? And why is comfort important? This is why comfort is important. Think about yourself in a strange home. The more comfortable you are, the greater your breath to explore and to excel, to open up the pantry, to help yourself to this. Now think about what opening up the pantry and helping yourself to XYZ means in the context of career development, of me coming in as a young graduate or as a young talent, of me going into the pantry and opening up and somebody saying, oh, I don't think this is my house, I don't think I can do that. The more comfortable a person is, the safer one feels to speak up within this house. The more comfortable a person is, the more engaged a person is. The more comfortable a person is, the greater the courage to try something and to fail. What is that the foundation of? Innovation, right? The more comfortable a person is, the greater one willingness to, one's willingness to ask for help or to ask for more. And the more comfortable a person is, the better one learns. Yeah. Now these are the things that we're measuring from a talent and an engagement perspective. These are the things that we're trying to unlock from a people perspective. We're, and I'm pretty sure we'd ask around and everyone believes that our people are our talent. Our, our people are our greatest asset. But then we kind of don't want to talk about this idea of comfort because it brings up a sense of, well, I'm feeling more comfortable than you and yeah. that makes me a sense of shame or who am I? Absolutely. But for us, the new currency of talent is inclusion, is comfort. And I need to say this again. Talent is not under a certain age group. We are all talent within the space. Do you not think that senior leadership want to come in and feel more comfortable to talk about their fears and anxieties? They absolutely do. Yeah. People, uh, yeah? Yeah. Practical example of uh, comfort, especially within the area that you guys are operating in. 
met a young black male you know, ex aspiring actuarial scientist. I don't know if that's the right term, because you need to do your exams before you're actually an actuary, yes? From what I understood. And he said, essentially, we're all within this organization, and some of our managers and seniors that we work with in the organization form part of the panel that sets the exams. He's like, within our organization, I've noticed that some of my peers who are white, you know, will take these guys out for coffee and so forth and actually ask for advice. And I'm preparing for this exam. What are the kinds of things that I'm needing to be looking at and so forth? He's like, Dominic, I'm baffled because when I look at the list when we all do exams, that list is black heavy. But when we look at who's passing those exams, all of a sudden that pyramid has inverted. I then asked him, but if they're having the coffee and getting the right advice that's enabling them to succeed, why are you not asking the conversation to have the coffee? He reflected for a while. And he said, you know, Dominic, I don't even feel comfortable enough to ask if I could have that kind of conversation. So they're not even getting to the coffee. The thought of having to ask to have the coffee is not even something that this young professional can entertain. But then we'll turn around and think that our organizations are a complete 100% meritocracy. They're not. Yes and no. Yes, there's meritocracy, but there's other things driven by comfort within the organization to be able to ask for help, to be able to ask for more, to be able to manage upwards, to be able to build relationships because you're comfortable with those individuals that enable certain careers. Not because those people are not bright enough or are not hard workers, but by virtue of how it is that they show up within this space and how they treat it, really has real implications of how it is that they're seen and how they progress within the spaces. Who thought about what shoes they were going to wear this morning? Yeah? Who has since thought about their shoes after putting them on at all today, at any point? Yeah? Why? <laughs> because we only know and understand comfort when we are, in a sense, in a space of discomfort. And a lot of times, leadership say, oh, I don't know about this comfort thing, this doesn't make sense. And we're like, because you're so comfortable. For somebody who understands discomfort in an organization, you know that every step within that space is considered and is a little bit more difficult, right? And it's not to shame the people who are comfortable. It's actually saying, how amazing to be comfortable. Now, go create more comfort. Because that's the call to action here, is how we're coming and we're creating greater things, right? Yeah. And maybe creating more comfort means I'm going to have to lose some comfort. And am I willing to lose that comfort? Well, if we're trying to create this thing, right, this team cohesion, get all the benefits of diversity, then this is what we need to be doing. And remember, it's not about external comforts of bean bags and meal vouchers and canteens. It's about how a space, a leader, a colleague makes me feel internally, internal sense of comfort. So what we're doing as an organization is how do we start embedding the language of comfort within the space? How do we start building leadership behaviors of comfort? But also how do we start creating spaces where more people can show up more authentically within their space? This is what we think, or what we know in fact, is the new currency of talent within space. This is what organizations are calling for. And we in South Africa have the perfect space to practice and to benefit because of how complex our situation is and how urgent our situation. We are having to innovate around this at a much quicker rate than Europe. When we are thinking about the South African export, it's how it is we're going to get inclusion and organizational effectiveness right. So we're coming into your space and saying, this isn't scary. It doesn't have to be scary. We're all feeling voiceless. It's okay. How are we going to start working on this? Right? And talking about comfort, my experience, your experience in a way that doesn't say, shush white man you're going to be fine you live in Bryanston I don't want to hear about actually holding that person saying okay let's talk about your anxiety around your child not having a job in a couple of years let's talk about that that's fair that's valid and then how do we hold space all around right and it's not easy but it needs to be done in us for order to create this idea of common purpose within our organizations yeah.
Over to you. <laughs> any thoughts, any feelings? Yeah. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Yes. Totally. Yes. It's so it's so fine and so tricky because there is a belief that the more I conform, the more comfortable I'm going to be. And for the most part, it's true. The external experience is more comfortable, right? But the internal experience is, a little, is very fractious. Because now I can't talk about my political beliefs and I can't talk about my sexuality within the space because I want to be accepted and more comfortable. But that comes at a huge cost. Totally. Yes. Welcome, you become, to, you become the better welcome to the story of black leadership <laughs> in 2019. Yes. Yes. And, and that's, a, that's the thing that as leadership you need to realize, that if an organization says that it wants to drive transformation, but then they're not willing collectively as a leadership to drive it, you actually compromise the top black leadership that has been in that space. Because those top black leaders will be seen as ineffective, they'll be seen as toothless, they'll be seen as sellouts. Yeah. Yeah. When they're trying to get the organization to do what's great for the organization for its benefit. But when we don't move on that, we actually completely undermine the crop of leaders that has, that has developed and come through the ranks in the organization. I think from my side, I just want to say that this isn't revolutionary and this doesn't have to be scary. This is just how we just come in and start infusing a bit of humanity within the space and building conversation and building trust, right? And I think for Dom and I, the hard work that we're doing is to re-centralize this conversation, not as a nice to have, but as actually that which is going to unlock the strategic imperative of the business. Yes. In a world of AI and automation and fourth industrial revolution, the, the, the skill set of the future is a people skill, is that humanity. And how do we start bringing that in and start yeah. developing that? Absolutely. But first we have to work through all of those challenges before we even see this as valuable, yeah, right? 100%. And the implications in your space, ladies and gents, are immense. If you think of currently how it is that insurance companies are structured, if you think of how it is that you, uh, what's this, you define risk, if you think of how it is that you put together life policies and so forth and who's able to access what kind of financing, the kind of thinking that's in the system right now disadvantages those that are previously disadvantaged. And so if we don't have that right kind of thinking, believe me, right now there's billions in the South African markets that is completely untouched. Why? We're not having the right kind of thinking that is actually inclusive where we're coming up with the kinds of solutions, the kinds of instruments that actually serve the reality of the people in our country versus a tiny few. Any black person in this room, and I'll guarantee you right now, if your salary is at least 15,000 per month, welcome to the top 1% of black people. How does it feel? Probably feel like they haven't even started. But that's the reality. 15 grand is part of the top 1% of black earners. And so if you're not engaging and thinking of implications even beyond just within our own organization, we then don't realize how much of the pie is so much bigger. But where they're trying to kill each other thinking that it's quite finite, but actually the opportunities are there. But it requires that we need to build that bravery, that we are open to being challenged and challenging, and get to that space where we can maintain a mutual respect as we refine the solutions of how do we get these things right. But the implications are really far-reaching of what we can potentially achieve here. Okay. Any thoughts or questions or feelings? Yes, sir. <laughs> Good question. Wonderful. <laughs> so, so leadership freaks out. So do you mean Mr. Discovery must fall? No. 
not necessarily. <laughs> but essentially, yeah. what we're wanting to get to is that space where we can actually value people as people, where I can value your contribution for your contribution rather than having your race impact the lens through which I am perceiving your value within the organization. At the stage at which none of us can tell quickly what the race of the thing, what the gender would be, at that point when you're having the, ah, but is it really male or female? That's the point at which the work is actually happening, where we're not having to conform to, th conform to things, but people are showing up as more themselves. But what that process would look like is a question that is very pertinent, and that process is going to take some hard work. And there will be some people that will kick and scream, because they'll perceive it as Mr. Discovery must fall. Mm. For me, and this is my opinion, it's a renovation. It's understanding that maybe even in our lifetime, maybe even if it's the right thing, that demolishing the house to rebuild probably isn't the best thing to do. But how do we come in and say, okay, we have a living room. We need, we need a living room, right? Everyone, cool, we need a living room. How are we going to design, redesign the space? I th and it's the negotiation of how it is we're designing the space and how we are interior designing it, right? And what if we kind of translate that it's, I'm going to be managing you as a white man, right? At least in this hypothetical. How do we negotiate how, how this relationship must be? As opposed to saying, you should have seen how I was managed. I had a file thrown across the room, and I'm fine. These millennials are so oversensitive. You say anything, they have a cry in the bathroom. That's saying, this is my house with my rules, and this is how it's ended. As opposed to saying, let's, let's negotiate how we want to build this relationship, right? So for me, it's a renovation. And you know what? Sometimes maybe you want to put a red carpet in. I hate red, but you know what? I'll compromise. But we're not necessarily seeing that willingness to compromise. And we need to be building that, uh, that resilience and that, that willingness to, at the end of the day, it's a carpet. Absolutely. So ladies and gents, we've run out of time. <laughs> Thank you very much for sure. being here. Thank you very much for being present. So we've got our names there. Please connect with us via LinkedIn. Those of you that still have questions will hang around in order to ask the, we'll answer those questions for you. But really that is your takeaway. If the organization of the future and you're saying that you're serious about talents, then you need to start thinking very seriously. Yeah. How to create greater comfort where people can actually yeah. show up as more versions of themselves rather than this thing that we expect them to conform to. Alright. Thank you. Thanks, guys.